Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 3. We'll read a verse and then flip to one other passage. And then we'll pray. Psalm special and then we will jump into the sermon this morning. Proverbs chapter number 3. Once again, please keep uh, Pastor and the men in your prayers. They're in Ghana, finishing up their trip there. Just a day or two left and they'll start coming back. So please keep them in your prayers. Proverbs chapter number 3. They did in Texas and they are watching, so she waited mine. Uh, Proverbs chapter number uh, 3. We'll read one verse, verse number 24, and then we'll flip to another location. Proverbs chapter number 3, verse number 24. The Bible says, When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Let's go to Psalms 127. Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Psalm 127, and we'll read one verse there. Verse number 2. Psalm 127 and verse number 2. The Bible says, Psalm 127, verse 2, It is vain for you to rise up early to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. And let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given, Lord, to preach your word in this pulpit. Lord, I pray that you'll use me during this time, Father. I pray that you use the psalm. I pray that you use me, empty me of self. I pray that you speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. me with your holy hands before my birth, planned your perfect purpose for me on this earth. I want to be all you created me to be, cause for all you've done, you deserve the glory. Here's my everything. I give you every part of me. I surrender. My plans, my hopes, my dreams, you're so amazing. Makes me wish I had more to bring, but if you'll take it, here's my everything. Lately, I've been learning more about your love and finding for my need it is enough though I'm never more aware of my own unworthiness but when I come and bow before your holiness here's my everything I give you everything 
My hopes, my dreams, you're so amazing. Makes me wish I had more to bring, but if you'll take it, here's my everything. I have nothing I can boast of, cause if there's any good in me, So I'll pledge my offering. Here's my everything. I give you every part of me. I surrender. My plans, my hopes, my dreams, you're so amazing. Makes me wish I had more to bring, but if you'll take it, here's my everything. My everything. Here's my.
irregular heartbeat, high blood pressure, stroke, diabetes, all of these things are directly have a direct correlation uh, to lack of sleep. If you have a lack of sleep, you are greatly increasing your chance of having these health complications, these health problems. Sleep. Lack of sleep is depressing. Over time, a lack of sleep will most likely lead you to become depressed, and in turn, being depressed can make it even harder for the person to sleep. Lack of sleep ages your skin. Puffy eyes, dark circles, the skin begins to break down because it's not getting enough sleep. Sleepiness makes you forgetful. We already talked about that with it's probably categorizing your memories, helping you to remember things more easily. Sleepiness, loss of sleep, can make you gain weight. Lack of sleep causes the rise of appetite, but appetite for high-fat and sugar-content foods. Just trying to get that little bit of can since it's supposed to be weight. Lack of sleep may increase risk of death. Extended periods of time with lack of sleep will make you multiple times more likely to die from almost any cause. But more, most specifically, cardiovascular, as we looked at the health problems, almost all of them were directly linked to the heart. Your heart needs good and proper sleep. Sleep loss impairs judgment, especially about sleep. Lack of sleep can and will impair our ability to judge situations and make it harder for us to determine when we actually need sleep and when we think we can just keep on pressing forward. It leads to more and more complications. Many millions of people have been diagnosed with sleep disorders, insomnia. Record uh, surveys showed that almost 40% of people report accidentally falling asleep during the day nodding off during whatever they're doing. 40%, that's almost half of grown adults say, during the day, I may accidentally fall asleep. Don't judge me. <laughs> Found it, all right. Sleep is a very important part of our life. It's a very important thing that God instituted in our very make. In fact, God being our example, when he created the world, he created it six days on the seventh day, the Bible says, he rested. That was an example for us. Almighty God does not need rest, but he was showing us the example of how he wants us to live our lives. He did not make us to go 100%, 100% of the time. He made us to say, every once in a while, I want you to take a step back and get rest. As we looked in Proverbs 3.24, the Bible says, When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Thou shalt lie down. And thy sleep shall be sweet. Why is there such a problem of a lack of sleep? One in three adults, that's a staggering quantity. One in three adults will and do suffer from a severe lack of sleep. What is causing everyone to lose their sleep? What is wrong? Why can't people sleep? What is the issue? The Bible says that our sleep can be sweet, a time of rest, not a time of dread where all the night long it's just tossing and turning and thoughts and pain and all the things that go along with sleep disorders and lack of sleep. As we looked at, lack of sleep impairs the judgment even further and further and further. It shortens your life drastically. Lack of sleep. Your heart needs that time of rest. Okay, if your heart stops for a second, you're in trouble, okay? That's not a good day. But the only time your heart gets somewhat of a break is when you're sleeping. 
That's the only time your heart gets any sort of rest. You can sit down, take a load off your legs. You don't have to lift things with your arms, all these different things. But the only time the heart gets somewhat of a break is when you're asleep. And God understands that. That's why he designed us the way that we are so we could have a set time to where we can have sleep so our heart can recover, so our body can reset and get ready for the next day. But what is the issue? Why is such an important component of our life and our ability having such a hard and drastic issue across the nation and across the world? 62% of the world's adults don't get enough sleep. How do you sleep when the storms of life are coming in? Because most people have a problem. Their main problem with sleeping is there's so much on their got this going on, I've got this going on, I've got this going on, I've got this going on, and there's that coming on, I've got that thing coming up, and there's so much that you just can't let the mind, the mind won't let you take a load off because you have so much going on. I need to do this, or I need to do that, or I have this to do, or I want to do this because I have no other time to do it. So your mind is constantly keeping you going as the storms of life rage on, but you're not able to get the sleep that you need. So once again, the problem that you are facing now become bigger because now they're still there, and now you don't have sleep, the sleep that God intended you to get, and then you get bigger and bigger, and the snowball begins to grow and grow and grow. It's an issue that is plaguing everyone across the nation, across the world. A vast amount of people, obviously there are times that you know, you're trying to get things done, whatever it may be, but on a consistent basis, millions of people are not getting enough sleep. Let's go to Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter number 4. I want us to read a historical account of Jesus and his disciples. Many of us don't get sleep as we should because the storms of life are raging in our mind and we don't have the peaceful calm that we need to take a load off. Lay down and have that sweet sleep. And even when you do get sleep, it's, it almost feels like nothing even happened. You feel like you closed your eyes and you woke up and you're more tired than you were than you went to sleep. That's not a sweet sleep. So what's the issue? Why are we not getting the sleep that God intended us to? Well, let's look here in Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter number 4, we'll read in verse number 35. The Bible says, In the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, this is Jesus speaking, let us pass over unto the other side. So we have Jesus Christ and his disciples, and they're at the Sea of Galilee here. And he says, let's get in our ships, let's pass over to the other side. Okay? Verse number 36, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Okay, so put yourself in this scenario. Even was come, nighttime was setting in, the sun was going down, Jesus Christ says to his disciples, the few men that were with him, he says, all right, uh, let's pass over on either side, there's something I want to do over there, let's pack it up, let's go over there. He had just spent the day preaching and teaching and, and performing miracles, all the above, and he says, guys, I want to go to the other side, let's pack it up, let's go over there. So they do, and as they cross over, even time, the sun is going down, the moon is coming up, it's getting darker out, the winds start picking up, the waves start picking up, and once again, as the Bible says, the ship was beginning to get filled with waves. Okay, that's a scary thing to be in. 
navigate on the water when a storm is arising. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. It's not a fun place to be, okay? Just in the regular waves, it goes like this. But when the water starts going crazy, the storm starts picking up, that is a very scary time because your life could be over very quickly. If that ship sinks, it's going to pull you down with it. That's a very dangerous place to be. So there was a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. full. Verse number 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, this is talking about Jesus, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, this is the one of the main reasons why we do not get the sleep that we should, is because when the storms of life come, and they come very frequently in today's day and age, with all the things that we have and all the technology and brings about the storms of life, and there's constant access to everything that there is to have. And so therefore you open yourself up to many problems and issues at a constant notice. Many of our problems is we sleep as the disciples slept. They didn't sleep. They could not sleep because the storms are raging and they could not calm their hearts down. As Jesus Christ says, well, they, as I said to Jesus Christ, carest thou not that we perish? That's what we're thinking in our mind. We're dying. We're going to drown. The storm's coming in. The water's in the boat. That's not where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be out the boat. Okay, that's what they're thinking. This is not a good situation. The waves are coming in. They are beginning to frantically go crazy. And most of these men were fishermen. They were experienced uh, sailors. They were experienced fishermen. They knew how to handle this. So you know this is a very dangerous situation. That these men that are very accustomed to the Sea of Galilee, this is, where they, this is where they made their livelihood. This is where they went out almost every night to fish. This was their life. And so to see the fact that they were deathly afraid and telling Jesus Christ, we're going to die if you don't do anything. Don't you care that we're, we're going to die? That shows how serious this was to them. This wasn't some run-of-the-mill storm that, okay, yeah, no big deal, guys. Just make sure you hold on tight. We'll get across. No big deal. They had been in storms many times in their life. They, they were full-grown men that their livelihood was fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They had seen this many times. So to see them in such a distraught place shows this is a very dangerous issue and dangerous place that they are in. And they're showing their, their, their passion and affright to Jesus Christ. Master, carest thou not that we perish? See, that's how many of us look at our life. All the storms of life are going on, and we reach up to God and say, God, don't you care? Don't you care what's going on? Everything's going, everything's going crazy. The waves are coming in. My ship is sinking. I am going to lose everything. I'm going to get crushed by the weight of it all. And we're just frantically running around while the storm of life is raging. While the storm is raging, the wind is coming in. It's beating against the ship. The waves are coming in. And we're just going crazy. We're losing our mind saying, God, don't you care? Don't you care what's happening? This is where many of us find ourselves. 
We know who Jesus Christ is. We go to church. We're saved. We know we're going to heaven. But when the storms of life come, when God allows a storm to come, we go crazy because we don't know how to handle it. We don't understand what God is trying to do. So therefore, we're going all over the place. We're running over here. We're getting buckets of trying to get the water out. We're throwing things out of the boat to make it lighter. We're going crazy just trying to stay afloat. Well, Jesus Christ is showing the example. So we see the disciples here. See some other examples of, uh, of those that knew God and, and trusted in God, but when the storms of life came, they, they really had a hard time. First Kings 19, 9 through 10, the Bible says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah had just done a great victory. He had been working for the Lord. He had been preaching for God, and he had a threat on his life, and he just lost it. He lost that view, that zeal and, and boldness that he had because the storms of life kicked up another notch. He had just had a great victory for the Lord. He had stood strong to what God had wanted him to do. But when the storms of life kicked up another notch, the winds got a little uh, stronger, the waves got a little higher, he then starts losing it and says, I, I don't know, I, I have done this for you, God. I have done what you're supposed to do, and now it's getting even worse for me. This is the thought that's going through his mind, just as the disciples were. We're following you, Jesus. Why is the storm getting more dangerous? Why is it getting worse? Genesis chapter 20, verse number 2. Abraham, when Abraham had a challenge in his life, okay, he was down in Egypt. Pharaoh saw his wife, Sarah, and he said, she's really pretty. I want to make her my wife. And this is what Abraham had to say to her. And Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech king, Gerar, sent and took Sarah. See, he had an issue. He didn't trust God in the issue of life. When a little storm came up, he chose to trust my little bucket and my intuition and what I think is going to save me. Because what Abraham was, he was afraid that if I tell this king, this powerful king, that she's my wife, he's going to want her. So he's going to kill me and take her. So I've got an idea. I'll just tell her he's not my wife, so she takes her and I can live. Okay, that's basically what his thought was. He thought somehow it was going to work out in the end. Obviously, God had to step in and fix the situation and had to teach Abraham, Abraham, no matter what the storm does, you trust me. You follow me and I will take care of the issue. Abraham did not trust him, trust God to protect him and Sarah while they were in Egypt. Genesis 26, his son Isaac did the same exact thing. There was another king that liked his wife, Rebekah, and like father, like son, when faced with the issue, when faced with the storm, when faced with an opposition, he said, oh, she's my sister. And once again, God had to step in and do the same thing again and teach Isaac the same lesson he had to teach his father. Isaac, it doesn't matter how bad it may seem. It doesn't matter how hard the winds may blow. It doesn't matter how high the waves may seem. You trust me. I am your out, Isaac. I am your trust, Abraham. 
disciples, yes, the waves are coming in, the water's in the boat, you're beginning to sink, it's dark, the storm is going crazy, but I am the one that you trust. I am the one that has led you here, so trust me to lead you out. But that's our problem. We have a lack of trust in God. As Jesus Christ said to the disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? You followed me up into this point. Jesus Christ is saying, you followed me all the way to here. You've seen some of the things that I've done. You've heard my teachings. I have taught you personally, and we've come this far, and you still have no faith. I was trying to help you grow, but yet you failed. I was trying to show this is what you can do if you trust me. Why do you have no faith? Isaac did the same thing as his father Abraham. A little opposition came. A storm of life poof, popped up out of nowhere, and he went with his own reasoning. He went with his own understanding and caused himself a problem. Matthew 11 1 through 3, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Jesus had been made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he parted thence to teach and to preach. And he said unto them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? This is talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, while in prison, his life is coming to a close. He still had some of his, uh, his disciples and followers that he had taught that had followed him. And he told them, he said, Hey, guys, go ask Jesus. Go ask him if he is really the Messiah. This is the one, John the Baptist is the one when Jesus Christ came on the scene out of the carpenter shop. He is the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God. He is the one that said, I am not even worthy to tie his shoes. The Bible says to latch up his shoes. I am not even worthy to do that. And now, in a time of trial and storm in John the Baptist's life, he begins to doubt. He begins to question. Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the one that I said he was? Is he really the one that I believed he was? Even John the Baptist had a time of doubt. Even John the Baptist had an issue when the storms of life came. It's a common occurrence among Christians, among those that are saved. Disciples, they knew Jesus Christ personally. They had walked along with him. If there's anyone that could be able to trust that Jesus Christ would be able to get me through this problem, it would be them. But once again, we as humans just have this incapability of trusting God because we want to trust me. I will trust me because that's who I trust. But God is trying to teach us. God is trying to pull us along saying, no, I want you to trust me. Even when it doesn't make sense, I want you trust me. Abraham, it doesn't make sense that if you tell the truth to this powerful heathen king, that he's going to honor your marriage vows. That doesn't make sense, Abraham, but if you trust me, I will see you through. Elijah, you just had a great victory. If you trust me and stand strong, I will show you my power to protect you. When the storms of life come, how do you I feel many of us are just like the disciples. Oh, we're saved. We go to church. We know who God is. We have a relationship with God. But when it comes down to the brass tacks and the water is coming in the boats, as opposed to going to him and saying, God, I need your help. 
We just leave him out of the equation and we start trying to fix the problem ourselves. Let's throw things over. Make the ship lighter. That's how, that's our first reaction. As opposed to going to God, as opposed to going to Christ and saying, we have a problem. We say, I, I can fix it. I've got it under control. I'm the fisherman. I know what to do here. I've been in with these storms before. I can solve the problem. But God is trying to teach us, you are not supposed to solve the problem. That's my job. You're supposed to just do what I want you to do. God is trying to teach us with those sleepless nights, with those times that our brains won't just turn off, with the problems of life come crashing in and we just cannot find a moment's rest. Our sleep has gone from us. It is no longer sweet. God is trying to teach us, trust in me. Don't be afraid. Thou shalt not be afraid, and thy sleep shall be sweet. How is that possible? God said, you trust me. The disciples did not trust. The apostle Peter, when Jesus Christ is walking on the water, the disciples were out on the boat once again. In the, uh, in the nighttime, they were fishing. They were getting ready. Jesus, well, sorry, they were fishing. Jesus Christ went up to a mountain to pray, and he said, hey, guys, go across the other side. I'll meet you over there a little bit later. And so as they're going across, the storm rose up, and they were once again in the thick of it. The water were coming in. They were afraid. This time Jesus wasn't with them. And all of a sudden, they see a man walking on the water in the middle of the storm, walking towards them. And the Bible says Jesus Christ beckoned and said, come. And so Peter Peter jumped out and started running, not running, he started going to him. But then for a split second, Mark 14, 30, the Bible says, but when he saw the wind boisterous, felt it blowing about to knock him over, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. See, even Peter, in the midst of trusting God, in the middle of a storm, that's how easy it can be to get our mind and heart off of trusting God. In the middle of it, he's in the middle of walking on the water, trusting God that, God, that I'm only doing this because Jesus Christ is allowing me. But the second he takes his mind off of God, that's how quickly our flesh can take control. That's how quickly our mind can take the problem back to us and cause us to start thinking, I can fix this problem, I can fix this problem. The second that Peter took his eyes off Jesus Christ and said, you're the one that's going to save me. He looked around and saw the waves. He felt the wind, and immediately he began to sink. And he knew what his problem was. He said, Lord, save me. Peter, in the middle of trusting God, it's so easy to flip the switch and to go back to ourselves. It is very common to allow the storms of life to try and take control and forget about it's a decision that we have to make. It's a conscious, you won't just do it by accident. Oh, I accidentally trusted God. No, when the true storms of life come, when the waves are taller than you, when the wind's going to knock you over, when the water's in the boat, it's not an accident that you trusted God. That is a conscious decision that you made to keep my mind stayed on the Lord. Out of anyone that should have been able to have their mind stayed on the Lord, it should have been the disciples. They had a daily physical relationship with Jesus Christ. They walked with him. They talked with him. He taught them all the miracles that he performed. They saw firsthand. They were there. But when the storm of life came, when the time of testing came, who do you trust? Disciples. 
they said, oh, I trust me. I trust what I can do. Until it was almost too late. How do you react when the storms of life come? How do you flee when the bad days come? God says, don't be afraid. Thy peace shall be sweet. Thy sleep shall be sweet. But does that really describe it? When the bad days come, when the storm comes crashing in, can I really say about you and me, oh, my sleep is sweet. It's calm. It's refreshing. It's what I need. Just like a drink of water in the middle of a desert. It's sweet. It's what I need. Can you really say that? Many of us cannot. Many of us sleep with the sun lifted. In our own confidence. In our own abilities. I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. I've been in storms before. I've got it handled. God says, okay. Eventually, we'll either sink or we'll come to our senses as the disciples did and says, Master, carest thou not that we perish, we're going to die. How do you sleep when the storms of life come? Let's go to Jonah. Jonah chapter number one. There's another storm of life that came about and there was another reaction to how you could sleep through the storm. One was, I'm going to sleep through the storm in my own confidence and my own abilities. Yes, I know who you are, God. Yes, I know what you can do for me. But I, I, I've been in some things before. I've got it covered. I've got it. I can take care of it. I can handle it. Jonah, chapter number one. Read a few verses. Jonah, chapter number one. And verse number one. Jonah one, verse one. The Bible says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So long story short here, God tells Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. The Nineveh was the capital of, of the Assyrian Empire. It was a wicked, wicked, wicked place. Absolutely gobsmockingly wicked. The Assyrian kings were absolutely destitute of any sort of common decency. If an Assyrian king conquered a people, what he would do is he would take the king and he would cut off both of his thumbs all the way back to the joint, cut off both of his big toes, poke his eyes out, sometimes cut his tongue out, and he would have them crawl underneath his table as he ate. Sometimes if he was a specific uh, uh, man that he had ha had a long, hard fight with, just like hunters will, you know, hang the head of the antlers of the biggest deer or whatever, uh, sometimes uh, he would uh, embalm and stuff the carcasses of kings that he conquered. They were absolutely destitute of any sort of common decency. They were absolute savages. In the true word of a savage and a barbarian, that's who these Assyrians were. When it came to battle, there was no holds barred. There was nothing. They were a wicked people. Absolutely wicked. And God told Jonah, he said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to them. And Jonah says, no way. I'm not going there. Do you know what they do? 
so Jonah says, I'm going the opposite way. Nineveh was a couple hundred miles further into the land. He says, I'm going to go to Tarshish, which is a couple hundred miles into the water. I'm going that way. I'm going as far physically possible away from Nineveh as I can. It's not happening. I'm not going to accidentally walk into Nineveh. I'm not going there, God. There is a line I'm not going to cross. This is the story that Jonah is at right now. Jonah says, I'm not going to Nineveh. Father, I know you told me to, but I'm not going to do it. So we see here, so verse number four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. So he's at Joppa. It's a port city. He gets on the boat. They're going to Tarshish, him and some uh, merchants. He was on some sort of a merchant ship. They're going there uh, to go to Tarshish. And so he gets in there. And so, but God says, I'm not done with you, Jonah. I told you to go to Nineveh. So, verse number four, once again, the Lord sent out a great wind in the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. So they're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, they've been out there a few, few ways. They're well far away from land. And they're in such a horrific storm that the Bible explains it as the ship was like to be broken. Once again, if you're in a storm, once again, if you're just in a storm in the ocean, in the, in the sea, that's a scary thing. But when you're in a storm in the sea where you're feeling like the boat is about to bust in two, that's really not a good place to be in. When you hear the creaking and the cracking of all the, the, the structure of a ship, it's going up and crashing back down. Waves are coming in. This is another one of those. This was a bad day to go sailing. Verse number five, the ship was like to be broken. Verse number five, then the mariners, these were the, uh, these were the sailors that went out and they were on the boat and they were the ones that, this is what they did. This is probably a common trip they took. They probably commonly went to Tarshish and other cities around the Mediterranean. This was no big deal to them. So the, the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the, uh, the wares that were uh, in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. So they start Praying to their gods, they start taking all the cargo that they had, they start throwing it over because they're trying to make the ship lighter so it doesn't get so uh, burdened down and start to sink. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So maybe you're able to sleep during the storms of life, not as the disciples did, trying to trust in their own abilities, Maybe you sleep as Jonah. You become so wrapped up and so deeply cold and hard-hearted in your sin and carnality that not even the storm of God is able to wake you up. See, sometimes God sends storms in your life to say, do you trust me? But sometimes God sends storms in your life to say, no, you need to come back to me. Jonah, you're going the wrong way, and you know you're going the wrong way. You need to go to Nineveh. Sometimes God sends storms as a means of correction. Jonah, you're going the wrong way, and you know you're not going the right way. It's time to wake up, Jonah. Get out of your sin, Jonah. It's time to get back to where you're supposed to be going. But you see, Jonah, no problem sleeping here, because I have no problem ignoring God. I am so hard-hearted that even when God sends a horrific storm into my life, Whatever it may be, no problem here. I can sleep right on through. The cold, hard heartedness of Jonah. Another man I think of is Balaam, the son of Beor. 
in the book of Numbers. Okay, he was a prophet. Heathens, the Moabites, came to him and said, uh, we want you to do something for us. We want you to curse this people. They're coming in, and we're afraid of them. We think they're, uh, they're, they're pretty powerful. They did a lot of things, but we want you to curse them because we've heard whoever you bless is blessed. Whoever you curse is cursed. So Balaam went to God and said, God, what should I do? Well, actually, God came to him and said, uh, who are these guys? Because Balaam said, I'll, I'll talk to God. And before he went to the Lord, God came to him and said, hey, who, who's in your house? Who are these guys? And Balaam told him the story, and God says, no. Uh, you're not going to curse those people. Send them away. And so Balaam, probably very begrudgingly, sorry, guys, not allowed to go. I can't take your stuff. Go ahead and go. So they go back. They tell the king, and the king says, no, I want this guy. So give him more. I offer him half the kingdom even if you need to. Whatever he wants. And so they come back, and now they have even higher officials in the kingdom, and they come to Balaam, and Balaam says, well, what he should have said is, guys, God already said, no, I can't do it. But he said, well, you know what, I'll ask him one more time. Let's see if he changes his mind. You know, the God that does not change. Let's see if he changes his mind. Okay? So he says, come in, take a load off, I'll ask him again. And once again, he goes and asks God. And God this time, just like sometimes with a parent, when a child just keeps on asking and asking and asking, he has to say no. It's like, okay, do you want to go do something dumb? Go do something dumb. And he says, okay, well, this is what God told him. He said, if they come to you in the morning, then you can go with them. And the very next verse, the Bible says, and Balaam got up and went with them. So very important piece missing. Um, they didn't come to him to see. Balaam came out and said, all right, guys, I'm ready to go, okay? Uh, so he disobeyed God in one instance. And obviously he, couldn't, he shouldn't have even asked because he already knew what God wanted him to do. God said no. But once again, we like what we do. And Balaam is so hard-hearted. This is one of those crazy, crazy accounts in the Bible. Balaam is so hard-hearted that as he's going along, his donkey begins going crazy because the donkey sees an angel of the Lord standing there with a sword drawn, ready to kill them both. And he says, I don't want that. And so he begins going off different ways. He begins to go over there. He begins to go over there. They're in this enclosed area where there's two uh, uh, rock walls, and he crushes Balaam's foot against the wall, and then he finally just sits down. And then Balaam gets his whip out and starts bang, hitting, hitting the donkey, hitting him and hitting him and hitting him. And he says, I wish I had a sword in my hand so I could just kill you right now. And then the Bible says that God opened the mouth of the donkey and the donkey started talking to him. And Balaam didn't say, okay, something's weird here. He answers back like it's no big deal that his donkey is talking to him. How hard-hearted you have to be that when God allows such a miraculous thing to happen right in front of you, that it doesn't click in your head. Eventually, God had to open the eyes of Balaam. He shouldn't have had to do it ever. Even with the donkey talking, he should have said, hmm, something is not right. But no, he had to get all the way to the place where God had to actually open his eyes so he could see the spiritual realm and see the angel of the Lord standing there with sword drawn, ready to kill him the second he took another step because of his disobedience and wanting to go his own way. Long story short, just to show the heart of Balaam and how hard-hearted he was and how far he had gone from the Lord, that even standing face-to-face -face with imminent death, after he went to Moab, he did what God told him to do. He said, no, you're going to go to Moab now, and you're going to say what I told you to say. And he did. He blessed the children of Israel. 
But then you find out a couple chapters later in Numbers 31, all this happens in Numbers 22 and 23. In Numbers 31, in verse number 8, the Bible talks about, And they slew the kings of Midian, beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian, Balaam, also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. How hard-hearted Balaam had become that he fit and sat right at home with the people, with the enemies of God. And he was so entrenched with them that he was slain just as one of the leaders of this wicked heathen nation. That was a prophet that had gotten so hard-hearted so cold towards the things of God that he had no problem living and fraternizing and being just like one of the leaders of a wicked, perverse, and heathen people. He was so hard-hearted that even when his donkey began to speak to him, he didn't see anything strange going on there. That's how we act sometimes when God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, hey, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to listen. You're going down the wrong path. And we just act like no big deal. We explain everything away because we are so smart and we know so much. We can just explain things away like natural disasters. There was a day when natural disasters would happen and the first thing people would think, have we done something to anger God? Have we lived in such a way that God is incurring his wrath upon us? Just because God uses something that can naturally happen doesn't mean God didn't have a hand in it because he's the one that made everything. So I think he could, you know, have something happen that he made. That, that wouldn't seem too hard. But once again, we're so intelligent that we can just explain everything away. The hard-heartedness of man. Oh, you may sleep during the storms, but you don't sleep because you have trust in God. You don't sleep because everything's good. You sleep because you're just so cold and calloused that not even God can move you. Not even God can change my outlook because I am so set in who I am. This is who I want to be. Jonah says, I'm not going to Nineveh. No matter how crazy the storm is, I'm not going. I'm going to sleep and have a good old time in hell. The audacity of us when an almighty God is being kind and compassionate and trying to get our attention. He didn't sink the ship. He didn't. He could have just said, all right, poof, done. Next guy, Jonah, you're going away. Okay, you're done. Broke the ship in half. Let's start again. No, out of his mercy and grace, he says, Jonah, hey, Jonah, come on back. Come on back, Jonah. I still want to use you. And God does the same with us. No matter how wicked we are, Balaam, Balaam does his own thing. The angel of the Lord is standing there ready to kill him. And God says, I'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance, Balaam. But so often we take the good graces and the mercy of God and we turn it for our own wickedness, for our own benefit, because of our hard-heartedness. I'll sleep just fine because I don't care what God does. It doesn't matter to me.
trusting in yourself too much. You're trusting in your own experiences when God is sitting right there. Are you Jonah? I'm just going to die. Do what you want, God. It's not going to affect me. I hope you do. How sad. How sad that is. Stagnant, nonchalant, could, could not care less Christianity. That's the day and age we live in. The tender hearts have gone. We're hard-hearted, as the Bible said about the children of Israel, we're a stiff-necked people. If you've ever ridden a horse, and if a horse is very stubborn, they'll stiffen their necks up, because you lead the horse by using the, the reins. You pull it by its jaw, and it leads it that way, and leads it that way. But when you're dealing with a stubborn horse, they stiffen their neck. You're not going to pull me that way. Not going to happen. That's what God thinks of us when, when he tries to lead us, when he tries to say, I want you to go over here, I want you to do this. And we, like Jonah, say, I'm going my own way. Stiff-necked. I'm going to stiffen my neck, and I'm going to go my own way, because I know what's best for me. I'm not listening to you. And that's what God looks at and says. Out of his goodness and gracious, he doesn't just say, all right, dead, next one. No, he says, all right, I'll strike you. Hey, let me get your attention. Let me put a storm in your path so you can come back to me. Let me try and mess things, let me try and shake your life up a little bit. Not so I can ruin you, not so I can destroy you, but so I can bring you back to me. And God goes through his progression. But eventually... If we just never soften our hearts, if we now never allow our hearts to be broken and allow God to use us again, we will eventually be like Balaam, a fool. The end of the fool is death and destruction. There is no other end. There is no escape for the fool. If you're a fool, you will have death and destruction. The only way to not have it is to stop being a fool. But just like Balaam, Many that are find themselves on that path of hard-heartedness, no matter how much God tries to get their attention, no matter how much God tries to rebuke and correct and to bring them back to him, I'm just going my own way. And then they find themselves in the same courtroom as these heathen, and when God's judgment comes on them, they find themselves caught up in it, because that's who they are now. They become just like the world. God is trying to wake you up. Get out of your sin. I'm trying to help you. I don't want to ruin you. But if you force my hand, I will, because I will not let you go. The goodness of God. God could just, boom, you're done. You dare stand up to me, the Almighty, the God of the universe? But that's the goodness of God. God says, even though you're an upstart, you know nothing, just appeal. I'll give you another chance. I will show my mercy to you, even though you are wicked, even though you are hard-hearted. I'll send some storms. It'll shake your life up. It may hurt. It may cause some problems. But if you allow it, it'll bring you back to me, and everything will be all right. We can start over again. How's your sleep? How's your sleep, Jonah? More and more church and churchgoers are following into this category. I sleep fine because I've just shut my heart off to God. God tells me to do this, I'm not doing it. God tells me that, I'm not doing it. I can sleep fine when bad things come. When the donkey starts speaking, I don't notice anything. I don't see God anywhere. 
because we've become so hard-hearted. It's no big deal to us anymore just disobeying God. How far we have come. Oh, yeah, there's a problem. There is no sleep, and the sleep that we get is not sweet. It's a bitter sleep at best. It's because we're trusting in our own abilities to help our problems, or it's because our hearts have become so hardened to God. At this start of life, I can see it's no big deal. How sad, how pathetic we have become. Next, let's go back to Mark chapter 4. Another person that we can sleep like, we've already looked at him a little bit. Mark chapter number 4. The disciples, they trusted in themselves. Jonah, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care what you do. I'm just going to go to sleep. How sad, how pathetic. Mark chapter number 4 and verse number 38. And he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on the pillow. How was Jesus Christ able to sleep in the same storm that these experienced fishermen were in? They couldn't sleep. They had more experience than Jesus did. Jesus was a carpenter. He wasn't a fisherman. That wasn't his life's deal, going out and being on boats and fishing. That was the fisherman. That was his disciples. That were most of his disciples, not all of them. That was most of their disciples' occupation. That's who they were. But how is Jesus able to say, no big deal, I'm just going to take a nap? Because Jesus Christ understood, I'm in the Father's hands. God will take care of me. God is the one in charge, not me. God, he was trying to teach his disciples something. God's in control, guys. When the storms of life come, when bad things come, he's trying to help you to grow and trust in him. He's trying to say, hey, this bad thing is coming, but I want to show you my strong and mighty arm. I want to show you how strong I am. So that's why I'm allowing this storm to come into your life. We too often get too prideful and point our finger at God saying, God, why did you allow this to happen? God is saying, well, if you just trusted me, I could have showed you. But you just trusted in yourself. And if you want to trust in yourself, okay, your ship may sink. Because when you finally wake up, as the disciples did, they finally did, and they ran to the Savior and said, Carousel, not that we perish. But if you never do, the storm of life doesn't just stop. God is still trying to bring you closer to him. So Jesus Christ was the example. Is our confidence in our experience or is our confidence as Jesus Christ was in the heavenly father? See, Jesus Christ knew I can sleep. I have no problem because I know the father was taking care of the situation. I know the father knows what's going on and he was trying to teach his disciples. Could we be as Jesus and instead of going crazy and being like a chicken with her head cut off, running around, trying to solve all the problems, could we just rest assured, no, God is in control. I am doing what he wants me to do, and he's going to take care of me. The waves may be coming in, the water is coming high, the wind is bashing our ship, but I know I am doing what God wants me to do. I'm following after him, so I'm just going to rest in his arms. And as Jesus Christ was able to do, sleep on a pillow, no big deal. The same storm that the disciples are in, 
they're going crazy, about to die, and Jesus Christ refuses to help them. He's trying to show us the example. He's trying to show them the example. This is what you do, guys. When bad times come, you trust in the Father and not yourself. You don't trust in your own ability because our own ability is weak and pathetic in comparison to who God is. And God is trying to help us to grow in that. Deuteronomy 7, 9, the Bible says, Know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God was trying to make himself known to the children of Israel. He says, look, I am God, but not only that, I am faithful. I will not be moved. When I make a promise, I fulfill that promise. When I say I'm going to take care of you, when I say I'm never going to forsake you, I mean it. Just because you don't see me in that instant doesn't mean I'm not there. Doesn't mean I don't care. I want you to grow. I want you to learn to trust me. It's just like when uh, someone working out with a spotter. Okay, the spotter's job is to make sure that they don't die. But the other spotter, the other job the spotter has is to push them as far as they can go. And that's what God is trying to do. He's saying, it seems very hard. It seems like it's about to crush you. But I know you can do more. Just trust me. I got you. I won't let you die. I won't let it kill you. But just trust me. Trust me. And I'll carry you through the storm. But too often, we trust what we see and not what God tells us. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, the Bible says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from falling. See, the Apostle Peter learned from his bout of not trusting God when he walked on the water. He learned from his bout of taking his eyes off of Christ and beginning to sink. Because when he was writing a letter to other Christians, trying to teach them and train them, he said in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He says, hey guys, I've been in the actual storm. I was in a storm and I failed. But I learned that, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter what's going on beneath me or above me. I just keep my eyes on Jesus. And everything will be I just need to make sure I stay how God wants me to stay. I keep my eyes on him. I cast my care upon him because I know he cares for me. I know if I stay where he wants me to be, if I follow in his footsteps, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter how bad the day may come. It doesn't matter how horrific the storm may be. I keep my eyes on Christ. I keep my your care upon him for he cared for you Peter learned his lesson he even learned his lessons before because the first time in the storm Jesus said you have no faith the next time in the storm Jesus came walking onto the water then and he said come and Peter came and then he said oh thou of little faith and then Peter says look this is what I've learned from my experience with Jesus Christ just cast your care he cares for you. He does care for you. You may not feel it in the moment when the waves are crashing around, but you keep your eyes on him. Yeah. You'll find out. 
you will learn about the love of your Heavenly Father. See, trying to take things out of God's hands is what it talks about in Psalm 127 too. About rising up early and stay up late to eat the bread of sorrows. That's what happens. That's what, that's what the life many of us live. We rise early, we stay up late, we eat the bread of sorrows. But God says, I want to give you abundance. I don't want you to sleep to be something that's just a, a burden to you. But when we cast our care, because many, what many of us do is we keep our cares on a fishing pole. We cast it to God, and then we pull it back two seconds later. Okay, I need to cast it. We cast it to him. And then something comes up. I, I don't know. I, I, need to, I need to check it out. I need to check it out. I'm not sure about this. Just like the disciples. I know what I'm doing. I'm a fisherman. I got this under control. Until all of a sudden, you don't. And then you go running to God. And God says, I'm doing it right now. I've been waiting. I've been sitting there staring. Waiting to see when you'd come to your senses. And I don't got this. And God wants me to trust him again. Cast your care upon me. Trust in God when the storms of life come. And then we can see that the Spirit spoke and the Spirit said, Jesus Christ, no problem, Stephen. I'll see you tomorrow in the boat. No big deal. Oh, the storm's going crazy. Same storm. Okay, he didn't have a stabilizing bed that didn't move around. Okay, same storm, same deal. The water was still in the boat with him. All the same deal. Storms of life may come. Oh, they're going to come. As long as there is breath in your lungs and blood pumping through your heart, the storms of life will come. That's the state of the world we live in. We live in a sin-filled world. When Adam and Eve sinned, storms of life were going to be a common occurrence. That's the life we live. Storms of life will always be until we're in heaven with God. That's when they will cease. That's when we see what God truly is. You see, Jesus Christ never lost a second of sleep in his whole entire life. Never once did he lose a second of sleep. But one thing Jesus Christ did do, once again, as other family does, is every once in a while he would sacrifice his sleep. See, in Luke 6, 12, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that he, talking about Jesus Christ, went into a mountain to pray and continued wasn't a time of fear and, and trepidation. That was a time of, I need to reconnect with my Father. I need to spend time with my Father. I, I want to spend some more time with Him. I, I want to ask Him about something. I want to show Him I'm serious about this thing that I'm needing or, or wanting help with or desiring. I want to show the Father this means so much to me that I'm willing to give up my sleep. Oh, I can sleep fine. But there are times when God wants to know, are you really serious about this? And once again, Jesus Christ, as our example, said, this is what you need to do sometimes. Not every time, not all the time. Sometimes when the storms of life come, it's time to sleep. Have trust in me. But sometimes I want you to sacrifice your sleep. 
Jesus Christ didn't sleep, not sleep because he was afraid, because he was scared, because he was worried. He knew God had it under control. But he says, I want to have a close relationship with you. I want to make sure, Father. He went to the mountain to pray. This was after a big deal. He had just done a lot. He had been preaching, teaching, performing miracles like he always did. He had been going and going and going. And he says, I need to refill. What would be better for me than sleep right now? Sometimes, Jesus Christ, it all sacrificed for sleep. I want to have a closer walk with you. He would continue all night in prayer and walking with him. We're doing good if we can get five minutes down. All night. He said, Father, I want to get to know you. I want to show my disciples and those in the future this is what you do. Sometimes, we just let God know, I want to get to know sacrifice your sleep. Oh, I could sleep fine if I wanted to. I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I just want to have a closer walk with you. I want to let you know this week is the Lord's day. A fasting sleep. The example of Jesus Christ. Where are the Christians? The Christians that have a true desire just to say, just as Jesus Christ did, not my will, but thine. It doesn't seems crazy, even if it seems kooky, if that's what you want, you've got it, no questions asked. Where are the Christians? Jesus Christ didn't fret, he didn't worry, but he said, I'm going to give God some of this time to talk to you, because I want to talk with you. How do you sleep, Christian? Do you sleep at all? When the storms of life come, says, then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to fight with other men. The last person you can be like when it comes to sleeping through the storms is the mariners, the sailors that were left out. Very similar to the disciples, but one key difference. disciples had Jesus Christ. When they came to their senses, they know who to run to. But those of the lost know who to run to. They have their gods, but that's all they are. Idols. Small g gods that have no power. They have no ability. Maybe it can be that you really can't trust him when the storms of life come because you've never trusted God can't trust God with your soul to take you to heaven, then why trust him with anything else? Why trust him with the storms of this life? If he can't secure you beyond this life, then why even trust him with anything else? See, that was the, the, the sailor's problem. The mariners. Oh, they, they were very experienced, but they just went to their own gods, because that was all they had to be loyal to. Utterly 
church are listening, there is no accident. God is trying to flash you the lighthouse from the shore saying, hey, here is your point. Are you, are you one of those sailors with Jonah and you have no you're just crying out to anything and everything that can help you and save you. You have no idea. And God's saying, this is for you. This is your hope. This is your chance of salvation. And God will provide for the righteous, for his children. So he's waiting for you. He's trying to let you know there is a storm going on. There is a bad time in your life, but I'm trying to bring it to you so you can learn to trust me so you can get saved and begin to follow me. God is waiting. Perhaps God has allowed the storms and tragedies and the loss in your life so that he can bring you trust me for salvation. Trust me. I sent my son to die for you. That Jesus that we were speaking about, he's the one that lived the perfect life and he died for us. So that even though we are imperfect, even though sometimes we may be like the disciples trusting ourselves, even though we may be like Jonah and Balaam, wicked and so far from God, that same Jesus said, I still love you. And I'm going to help you. Even though the storm is going on, you can trust me. That's the ultimate storm. It will die and rot and decay. But your soul that will live on forever. If you cannot trust God with your soul, you're not going to be able to trust anything else with your soul. Maybe you're a regular attendee at the church. Might I remind you, just because you're a regular attendee does not mean you go to your destination this side of heaven. Doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Might I remind you one of the twelve disciples? to and fro, trying to fix your own problems when God is sitting there waiting, I can fix it for you. I can just stand up and say, peace be still. Can you imagine that? Being in a crazy storm, waves are coming up over the ship, the wind is beating, and it's just like a sea of glass and everything still. Peace be still. The wind stops. Jesus, 
what does through salvation or through just a sermon that you learn who he is, your life will change. Either for the good because you accepted him or for the worse because the storms of life are beginning to come. Because God is going to tell you, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to do everything I can to bring you to your feet. Even if it means breaking you down, everything is gone and it's just you. If that means you come to me, that's what you do. Now God says, I don't want to have to do anything for you. But I will. Because you're that worth it to me. You mean that much to me that I'll chase you that far. That I will do whatever it takes to bring you to that point. How is a Christian? Proverbs 3.24 When thou liest down, saved, you won't have that sweet sleep until you die. Get us up today. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time.